Well, it's good to be back. We've been gone for a month. And, you know, one of the underrated things about the summer is that you get to wear shorts. I was just thinking about that. I'm wearing shorts right now. This is amazing. And actually, I'm violating Antioch Brighton's policy right now. You're supposed to wear pants if you're on, on the stage. So my bad. Junk. <laughs> It's like one of those little-known, like, small lines that I, I'm choosing to ignore. I'm just so hot. Sorry, John. Anyway, hey, it's good to be back. Uh, it's good to be able to come and talk about this series in James. I'm excited. So, hey, today I'd like to introduce you to two very important women in my life. They have been known over their lives uh, as teachers. Uh, they've been CFOs of companies. They've been elders in churches, they're pianists, they are mothers, but to me, I know them as Grandma Mason and Grandma Muti. Can you show some pictures here? This is my, it's a little hard to see, this is my Grandma Mason, and then Grandma Muti, there's Grandma Muti. Everybody say hi to Grandma Muti and Grandma Mason. Everybody think of your grandma and, you know, Gramps if you want to. But hey, today, I would like to talk about uh, the legacy that my grandmothers have passed on to myself and to my family. See, they have 10 children between them. They have 30 grandchildren and 37 great-grandchildren and counting between the two grandmothers. And they, so they've had significant, this like brood of people that they have significant impact on. And I believe in my example or my kind of what I'm going to be talking about today is their legacy of faith in action that they've left for us. I've had the privilege of having them alive my whole life. Not many people do. I'm 32 years old now. Both grandfathers have passed away, but my both grandmothers are still around. And I, I was just, as I was thinking of this message, I was just thinking about some of the things that I've really loved about my grandparents. First that I thought of is that um, they're both like huge fans of mine in terms of when I played sports. They would try to come to as many games as possible. And there's nothing like the support of a grandmother. You know, they don't care about whether you win or lose. They don't care really about whether you did well or not. All they care about is, are you hurt? Is everything okay? You know, I come off the field, uh, and they didn't know anything about lacrosse. That's the sport I played. They just know I had a stick, and I hit people, and I got hit. And so I come off the field, and they'd be like, is everything okay? Is it, you know, I, we were praying the whole game that you'd be safe and ha- happy. And I was like, all right, yeah, that happened, Graham. Thanks. <laughs> I think of my Grandma Muti. And one of the things that we would do with Grandma Muti, my dad's mom, was we'd play games. So Rummy Cub, Sequence, Monopoly, Upwards, Rook, you name it. We played the game. But the thing with my Grandma Muti was is that she was the most competitive person you can imagine. You know, usually with grandchildren, you would, you know, or children, the young children, you, like, let them win and, like, build self-confidence in that way. She was all about letting us learn from losing. And she would just crush us in every game possible. And if we ever did win, and we eventually did start winning, she'd be like, hey, can we play one more game? And then we'd play one more game until she won, and then be like, all right, I'm tired. I'm going to go to bed. You know, that was, that was Grandma Muti. Grandma Mason, I just remember her. She was this amazing cook. She's from Sweden. She'd make Swedish pancakes. Anybody ever know what a Swedish pancake is? It's like a crepe, and it's really, really thin. And so she'd stack up like five to ten little crepes, little Swedish pancakes, syrup in between each layer topped with whipped cream and 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 jelly and we'd run down my brother and I would like we'd wake up grandma would come at like 4 a.m start cooking and we'd run downstairs to get our stack of Swedish pancakes such good memories with that 
Another thing that grandmas do, I don't know if this happened with your grandparents if you had them, was uh, a card on your birthday from grandma was always different than everybody else's card, you know, because it had money inside of it. And so I learned from a young age how to open up cards from grandma. You know, I'd pull out the card, I'd open it up, see the money drift down, throw the card, grab the money, and go spend it, right? That's just what I learned. And even now today, it's funny, when I open a card from someone, if there isn't money inside, I'm a little disappointed. You know, I'm just, does anybody else have that experience? So if you send me a card, you know what to do. Well, in, in the past, uh, like, six months, so they've been very, very healthy. They're, you know, they've been, have great health. They're 89 years old. But in the last six months, it's been interesting because both of them, their health has, like, very quickly started to decline. And actually, both recently, last two months, just went on hospice care, which basically means, like, instead of doing preventative measures to continue uh, long life, you, it's more of comfort care. So it's kind of saying, hey, we're, we're okay with, uh, you know, passing on. And so it's been significant for our family because we've been thinking about our, grandparent, our grandmother's kind of influence in our lives. So I got to go and visit my both grandparents, or go, both grandmas in the last two months, flew down to Florida to visit Grandma Mason, with my sister and my brother, we were like, we just, the three of us wanted to go down and spend a day with her just to kind of say, hey, Graham, we just, we love you and we're so thankful for all the ways you've influenced our lives. My grandma, uh, Muti, she lives in Pennsylvania. My Les and my two girls, we drove to Pennsylvania about a month ago as well, spent a weekend with her. And again, just the whole point of it was just to be like, hey, we love you and we're just so thankful for all the ways that you've impacted us. When I was with them, kind of on those last visits, and I, I hate to say last visit because I do hope I see them again, but I was like, hey, God, you know, give me some wisdom, or, or what was the significant thing that happened on those trips? And, and so I was just like, Graham, how did you sustain such a healthy, amazing marriage? They were married for 67 years, my Grandma Mootsy and my Grandpa Jim. 67 years. I mean, that's amazing, right? And he passed away six months ago, and I was like, hey, what, what's been hard about Grandpa being gone? And she was just commenting how, she would go to bed, they would go to bed holding hands every night. And she would just, with tears in her eyes, she was like, it's been the hardest thing not having Gramps to hold on to. And she was like, hey, Phil, how do you have a great marriage? Enjoy every single moment with Leslie. Enjoy the little things, just like holding your hands. My Gramps would walk into the, uh, like, into the doorway, and he would always be whistling. And she, like, misses that. And she's like, picture the little things that Leslie does and just enjoy them. Don't, don't just kind of brush over them. Really enjoy them. I was like, thank you, Graham. That's a great, you know, final words for, for my marriage. When I was with Grandma Mason in Florida, one of the things she did when I was growing up was she would scratch my back a lot. So I, I was like this, you know, I would, I'd be a rambunctious little kid and, and, or I was just crying a lot and she would just immediately start scratching my back. And it was like comfort, or just like a blanket of comfort on me when my grandma started scratching my back, right? And so when I was down there, she was like super, super frail, was spending most of the day in her bed. And I just like crawled into bed next to her. And I said, hey, Graham, would you like me to scratch your back? And <laughs> so I'm sitting there scratching her back. And it was, it was just significant because it was like here she'd spent years doing this for me. And hours and hours doing it for me. And I, I got to spend 30 minutes, and I was just, like, crying the whole time because I was able to just let her know in a very tangible way how much I loved her. So they, they had significant influence in my life, as you can see. And I'm going to miss them terribly. But I'm also 
as I've been with them and as I've been thinking about their lives, I've been thinking about the legacy that they've, been, they've passed on to me. I think about the legacy of faith, the legacy of, of a Christian walk, of actually walking out your faith that they showed to me. And this is how it ties into this message that I'm going to give today in James. You see, I, I believe that James, especially the passage that we're going to be looking at today, James 2, 14-26, if you want to turn there, the whole passage today, and really the whole book of James, is how do we live out our faith? How do we live an active faith? If we truly have faith in God, what does it look like to actually live it out here in this world, around other people? And I also believe that this passage speaks significantly to the legacy that we will leave here in this world. The legacy that we're going to leave is our faith in action. Is our faith that was active. And that's what I saw from my grandmas. So let's turn to this passage. I'm going to be looking a little bit, pulling out some things from the passage. Then I'm going to be pulling out a few things that I learned about faith in action from my grandma's lives. First, just a reminder about what, what we're doing in James. Or what is this book about? James, to me, is Discipleship 101. It's the practicals. He's talking to these new Jewish believers, these people that, that probably knew the, the Old Testament law and the Old Testament scriptures, and they grew up going to synagogues and hearing people talk about it. But now they're just began, started to believe in who Jesus was. And instead of following a law, now they're following a man. And this man was a man who lived an active full life of faith, right? Jesus Christ. And so James here is saying, hey guys, if you're going to follow this man, Jesus Christ, who, you, who, who now is dead and has been raised again, you're not going to see him, but you, we get to follow in his footsteps. You've got to do certain things. And so a couple of things that he reminds them of. He says this, and, Paul, and uh, Mark talked about this a couple of weeks ago. There's going to be suffering and persecution in this life. Here's how you stand up to it. The rich are going to try to get power in the church. And people are going to try to, uh, to emphasize being rich as opposed to poor and favor and, and kind of put favor on the rich instead of the poor. Don't let them do that. That's not worth it. It's not, it's not the way of, of Jesus. He says one of the biggest problems in church is gossip. We're going to be talking about that in a couple weeks. Our tongues. Don't do it. He said some people are going to be talking about their lives. They, they might seem wise. But you've got to not just hear their words, but you look at the conduct of their lives and then you follow them. If their conduct of their lives is following Jesus. Also, towards the end of the book, he says, hey, prayer is an incredibly important part of your life. Pray, pray, pray. And so today's Discipleship 101, the chunk that we're going to be reading, this is what James is trying to teach these new Jewish believers. He says this, an active faith will lead you to maturity in your faith will give you a friendship and an intimacy with God and it will be the legacy that you leave behind. So an active faith leads to our maturity, brings us into intimacy, and will be our legacy. And that's what I want to give us today. So let's read James 14, James 2, 14-26. This is from the New Living Transa- Translation. Says this, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing 
and you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm, eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Now someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith, for you believe that there's one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. And so it happened, just as the Scriptures say, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. Rahab the prostitute is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. So what I want us to remember today from this passage is this. Active faith leads to maturity, intimacy, and legacy. Active faith leads to maturity, intimacy, and legacy. So let me just pull out a few of those things from this passage. First of all, faith that doesn't have actions is no good. It's dead. It's useless. Four times in this short little passage, that's what James is trying to hit home. He's trying to say it's not just about knowing something. It's not just about knowing who God is or being able to communicate who God is or knowing who Jesus Christ is or knowing who the Holy Spirit is or knowing about the Bible or knowing about atonement or sanctification or justification or all these types of things. It's great if you know all that stuff. It's great if you can explain all that stuff. But if it doesn't lead you to actually live a life of something in this world, live a life of interacting and live a a life of changing people's lives, then it's dead. It's useless. It's no good. So we need to have active faiths. This is what James is trying to convince his readers. And I keep coming back to this idea of the Old Testament law versus the man, Jesus Christ. He's saying to these Jewish believers, you, you might have known the law. You might have read a bunch about the Torah. You might have heard a bunch of teachings. But I want to introduce you to this man, Jesus Christ. The man who knew all, but he lived an active, amazing life of action and good deeds here in this world. Here, James, talking about his brother, Jesus. He saw his life. He saw how compelling this man lived. And he's trying to communicate to these new believers Will you live like He did? Will you live with action like He did? Will you change the world through the actions of your faith? That's what He's calling us to, an active living faith. I'm reminded as well of just in a book right before James, Hebrews. There's this amazing chapter, Hebrews 11. 
It just goes person by person. It's, it's all these, uh, some people call it the hall of faith because it's these examples of these men and women who lived incredible lives of faith. But it's very interesting is that the only reason or the reason they're in that chapter is because of an action that they did. The reason why they're in there is because they did something. Their faith moved them to action. Their faith made them do something in the world. And that's what put them in that hall of faith. So our faith is an active faith. We have to grasp that. And once we grasp that it's an act of faith, this is like James giving us a vision. Hey, hey, be active. Be active with your faith. What actually happens to your faith? And this is, this is where it's kind of like, this is where it's compelling for each one of us. This is what it does to us. It leads us to maturity in the Lord and to friendship with the Lord. So look at James 2, 22 through 23. So he, he just gives this example of Abraham. He tells about Abraham about to offer his son Isaac on the altar, right? And this is his conclusion from that action. He says this, You see, Abraham's faith and his actions, they worked together. His actions made his faith complete. And then it throws in this little sentence, He was even called a friend of God. His actions made his faith complete. He was even called the friend of God. Other translations, instead of the word complete, use the word perfect. I put those things together and I say mature. I think it's maturity. Our faith is mature when we are active with it. So what is maturity? I think it's something we should all be striving for. I think maturity is, versus immaturity is the difference between a parent and a child. Right? A parent is able to care for the needs of others, whereas a child typically basically can only think about themselves or care about their own needs. They can't even care for their own needs. I mean, I have two. I'm a parent. I care for my Hannah and Ava all the time. They are immature. I have a maturity that I can care for them. People who have maturity, they can be entrusted with things. I was thinking about what does it mean to entrust someone who's mature versus immature? This is a simple illustration, but I don't give... Sometimes I test my little girls. I, tr- I try to test them to see how much maturity they have or how much development they have. So I'll, I'll fill a cup of water... And I'll say, hey, Hannah, go bring this to mom in the other room. And I'm testing her. I'm going to see, can she make it all the way? Can she bring it? And 50% of the time, that thing falls on the ground. Right? If you have a young kid, you know that that's the reality. But 50% of the time, she makes it. And I'm like, yes, Hannah, way to go. You know, you, you brought it all the way. But I don't ever put that water in a glass cup. Right? Because I know that there's a chance it's going to break. I put it in a plastic cup. But if I was going to ask my wife to bring a cup to like a, a guest or something, I'm not like, oh, 50% of the time it might make it or not. You know, like, no, I trust Les, I'll trust Les with the nicest piece of glass that we have. Because I trust her. She's mature. She's got, so, I mean, in a similar way, we can entrust people of maturity with precious things. And so I want to be one who God can entrust with precious things. I want to be one who God trusts with authority, saying, hey, I trust Phil. He can can have authority because I trust the way he's going to communicate my word. I trust the way he's going to care for other people. I trust for the way that he's going to shepherd a flock. I trust for the way that he might be able to disciple this young believer. I trust Phil, so I'm going to give him that. But if I'm immature, I don't know. I probably shouldn't be entrusted with that stuff. So I want a faith that's mature, and I believe that part of it 
or a big part of way of moving towards maturity is putting our faith in our, into action. Do you desire maturity? Are you a young believer? Are you just a believer and desire maturity? Well, he, here's a couple suggestions. Don't just know the value of giving your money away. Don't just think it's a good idea. Actually go and do it. Experience the joy of giving away a lot of money and you will become mature. Put that faith into a deed. Don't just know about how to share the gospel. Actually go do it. Go talk to someone who doesn't know who Jesus is and you will learn so quickly about, more about the gospel yourself as you try to communicate it to other people. Don't just think that serving someone is a good idea. Actually go do it. Go offer to babysit my children for free. That's a great service. You will be mature if you do that. Or go clean someone's yard or their house. Or, or even, man, Les and I got home from North Africa and our fridge was completely stocked with, with groceries. That is faith in action. Thank you for all the people who did that. Don't just talk or know that forgiveness is a good idea. Go and forgive someone who's really hurt you. Dig back up into some of the stuff in your past and say, hey, I'm willing to forgive this person. You're going to learn so much doing that. Want to break the power of sin in your life? Well, confess it to a brother or a sister. Learn what it's like to be vulnerable and real. Open your heart to someone and say, hey, I'm dealing with, I'm struggling with this. Confess your sins. You will be forgiven. And the power of sin will be broken off of your life. Don't just think that reading the Bible and prayer is a, is a great idea. Do it. Wake up tomorrow a little earlier so you can actually spend time with the Lord. And do it for a week straight. See what happens. I guarantee you're going to see maturity enter your life. You're going to know more about who God is. You're going to act differently if you do that. A couple more. Don't just talk about justice and caring for the poor. Invite them into your home. Get to know some people. Don't just talk about how important it is to care for the orphan. Go into foster care. Adopt children. Man, there's some families in this congregation that have done that, have put their money where their mouth is, and I'm like in awe of that. And let me tell you, that's a, that's a sacrificial service that they've done, but I guarantee you they are more mature because of it. I look up to them because of that. We've got to put our faith into action and you will become mature. It's also a thing that make, brings us intimacy with the Lord. The friendship. Here, this little line, right? It says, he was called a friend of God. Talking about Abraham after he was willing to sacrifice his son. This is a really interesting idea, okay? Because each one, anybody who believes in Jesus Christ, in his death and his resurrection, that when you receive forgiveness of sins by believing in Him and believing in His death and resurrection, you become, it says in the Bible, a child of God. You, you are adopted into the family. You become a child. God is your amazing Father. That is, so belief and faith makes you become a child of God. But what's interesting is this, is that some of us are content with just being children and not becoming friends of God. 
And here's how you become a friend of God. Jesus says it in John 15. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command. If you do the things that I've told you to do, that's when you become a friend of mine. That's when you, we have this intimate relationship. God knows you intimately. He wants to, he wants to tell you secrets about the kingdom of God, about the way that things work. Because you're a friend and because he knows he can trust you. He knows that you're mature. He still loves you. You're a child, so he's going to unconditionally love you. But you might not be a friend of God until you do what he commands. Until you put your faith into action. Do you want to become a friend of God? I do. Man, it's simple. Start doing the things that Jesus did. Start doing the things that the Bible tells us to do. So I'm getting, you know, a little intense, and I'm not sorry about it. But I do want to temper maybe a little bit what I'm saying with this. So just remind us that God is a gentle, loving Father. And Jesus Christ is our best friend, and He's a brother. And the Holy Spirit is our comforter and our guide. And so He's never content with you being in a place of immaturity. He's not content with you just being a child. He wants you to be a friend. And so the good God, the loving brother, the comforting Holy Spirit will forever pull us and remind us and challenge us to be ones who live out our faith. Even Abraham, he had years of development. He did some messed up stuff early on in life that you'd have been like, wow, why did you do that? You're pretty immature. But later on in life, he was willing to sacrifice his son. And then he said he was a friend of God. So there's development, right? But the call for us is to move into maturity and into friendship by doing the things of God. Okay, so we see that active faith leads to maturity. It leads to friendship. And now I want to talk about your legacy. And this is where it ties into my grandmother's. It's interesting that James gives two examples of people. Right? So he's challenging us to live our life of faith. But then he gives us examples. He says, hey, there's this guy named Abraham and there's this woman named Rahab. And they just so happen to be in my family tree. Right? He looks back in his Jewish heritage. He's like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to remind us of these two people that did, lived and did some awesome stuff. Right? Abraham. God calls him to sacrifice his son Isaac. The son of promise. And it says that God asked him and right away the next day he was like, alright, I'm willing to do it. And so he goes and, and praise the Lord. In God's mercy, he provides a ram to take the place of his son, right? But he was testing. There was a bit of a test there on Abraham's heart. He's like, hey man, are you willing to lay down everything in this life for the sake of my relationship and whatever I tell you to do? And Abraham proved that he was willing to do that. Man, I want to be one who's willing to lay down anything for whatever the Lord tells me to do. That, that testimony compels me. That legacy that Abraham now has for the rest of, for the, for the entire, the history of the world now, it compels me to live like he did. Or how about Rahab? Here, this is, she was a prostitute in the city of Jericho. Israel is about to march into the promised land, right? About to take out this city. These two spies roll into Jericho and they're trying to scout it out, just see everything. And they come into Rahab's house and they're like, hey, would you hide us from these dudes that are trying to kill us? And she tells, or they tell Rahab, they're like, hey, tomorrow, or in the next few weeks, God's going to destroy the city. And it's going to be through us. But if you believe, and if you hang out this little scarlet cord, you'll be saved. 
Okay, so she believes that, but then she puts her money where her mouth is, if you want to say it that way. She walks the walk by actually risking her life by hiding those spies. She hides them. The army comes. She sends them another way and then says to the spies, all right, get out of here. Now remember the promise. I'm going to hang this cord out, right? So that amazing act of bravery was this, her putting her faith into action. And when I hear that story, I'm like, I want to be a, woman. I want to be a man who's, who's willing enough to, be, to hear a word of the Lord and be brave enough to follow it out or to act on it. And so what I see from these two stories, James is trying to say, live an act of faith. But the way, that, what's going to happen, the legacy, how you'll be remembered is how you put your faith into action. So I just want to remind us, active faiths lead to our maturity, our friendship, and it will be our legacy one day. So let me tell you about the legacy of my grandmothers. Let me tell you about the way that they've influenced my life. I learned three things from them as I was reflecting on their lives. It's simple. I learned that faith serves, that faith gives, and that faith prays. I want to tell you about my grandma Mason. My grandma Mason was a woman of service. So she has six kids. She was a teacher. I got her master's in education, was a teacher. Her husband was a teacher. But at the age of 42, my grandfather was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. Okay? And back then, they didn't really have the preventative stuff that they have with Michael J. Fox, right? They didn't prolong his abilities. He, he pretty much quickly declined after he got diagnosed at 42 years old. Okay? Many of us, 42 years old is still a long way off. But for some of us in this room, that's like a reality, or that's already happened. And to have a debilitating disease that young in life with six children, that will change your life. And that changed my grandma's life. She had to leave teaching, and she had to go into full-time service for my grandfather for 30 years while raising six kids, while caring for grandchildren as well. When I think of her life, it's amazing what she... What she lived out, the vow, you know, I think, of the, I think of the marriage vow, in sickness and in health, she lived that out for 30 years of service towards my grandfather. And not only that, when I was born, my mom had postpartum depression and anxiety for a couple of years. And so my grandma committed to coming in every day, helping my mom out, raising me and my, my sister. So she would basically be up all night with my grandfather because he was really uncomfortable at night and then put him to bed kind of in the morning and then run out, come to our house, care for me, scratch my back, and then go back and do this whole thing over again. And so when I think about my Grandma Mason's legacy, I think that's a woman who served. That's a woman who lived out the call of Jesus when he says, I did not come to be served but to serve and to give my life for others. Grandma did that. And, And it's been interesting she, we've been talking to her about kind of end of life, and how, how do you feel about life, Graham? And she's just like, I can't wait for heaven, you know? She's got this amazing outlook, because she said, God gave me duties to do in life. He gave me a husband at 42 years old who was going to contract this disease, but I faithfully lived out the service that was needed, and I'm so, and she looks back with joy on all those years of service. That's what her reflection is now, and I just say, Graham, thank you for the legacy of service that you showed me and my family. How about my Grandma Muti? My Grandma Muti is a woman who gives. I learned generosity from her. 
So in their 20s, my grandma and grandpa, they had four kids. And then around 30 years old, my gramps was like, hey, I want to start a business. But the only way I'm going to do it is if I do it in partnership with you. And so four kids at 30 years old, they say, well, let's start a business. So there's a few really hard years. Imagine that, starting a business with four little kids. But God eventually blessed it. And they ended up having a bunch of different cleaning company franchises in both Massachusetts and Connecticut. But from the very, very start, they committed to being super generous with the profits from that business. And here's some of the ways that that played out. They would purposely hire people who were overlooked at other jobs and give them a second shot to try to own a business with them. They hired a few immigrants, people that were, had to flee their countries to come to America. They took chances on them and saw them progress and then eventually gave them franchises because they really believed in giving people a shot giving them an opportunity to learn business here in this world. They owned a cabin in New York that was an amazing part of our upbringing for our children, like the grandchildren. We'd all go and hang out with Grandma and Gramps at the cabin during the summer. But they would give away multiple weeks all throughout the year to different missionaries who came back on furlough. That was a commitment when they bought this place. They said, we're going to give away weeks at a time of this awesome vacation home. They would always, this is, a, you know, this is before cell phones. My grandfather would invite people over all the time. He would, just be, he would meet somebody and then invite them over for dinner. Wouldn't let grandma know, right? So they just roll up with a new person. And she always just knew to kind of set another table, a place at the table, because he was like, Gramps is probably going to bring someone back home for dinner. And she was just okay with that. She was a woman who gived generously. And I learned that from my grandma. And so even now, today, I I look back and I say, I want to be a man of generosity because of the way that I saw my grandmother and my grandfather live a life of generosity. Finally, I learned that faith prays. This is probably one of the most powerful things for my life is that my grandma's, I mean, the the classic, if you were going to kind of caricature a grandma, what what do you think of? You think of a grandma who's like sitting there praying, right, in, their, in a room in like a rocking chair. You know, that's, a, that's kind of a classic caricature of a grandma. Well, in some ways, my grandmas were that caricature. They, they played that perfectly. Because they committed their lives to prayer for their family. 20 years ago, this is amazing, my grandma Muti, she has five siblings. 20 years ago, her and her siblings were all, had a reunion together. And they felt like the Lord came and like spoke to them in a powerful way, these five, these six siblings. And the Lord said, hey, make a covenant with one another to pray daily for your children, your grandchildren, and your great-grandchildren every single day. And then covenant to once a week pray for your nieces and nephews and all these different families. And so I felt like it was a a solemn time of like, dang, that's that's a serious commitment. Are we willing to do this? But they did. 20 years ago, they made that commitment. They, made this, they signed this document. They said, we are covenanting together to be prayer warriors for our family. And so that's the legacy that I have lived under. My, my last 20 years of life, consistent prayer for my grandma and grandpa every single day. My grandma Mason, a very similar story. So her husband passed away, and she was a widow for about eight years But amazing, at 75 years old, she meets a guy. He was a widower. He was a missionary in Africa for 40 years. His wife had passed away, and he was about 75 as well. So shocking to hear that Grandma one day was coming home with a boyfriend. (laughs) But it happened. 
And they got married. And they've been married now for 14 years. And so it's been so amazing having John as part of the family. But one of the things that they committed to once they got married was they said, hey, we're going to spend every single morning in prayer for our families. And so they would wake up every single day at 4 a.m. and spend time in devotions together. And then they would pray for their family. And get this, between the two of them, they have 50 great-grandchildren. 50 great-grandchildren. Isn't that crazy? That's not even... It's, it's mind-blowing. And so they pray consistently for everybody. And so I've learned... I'm living in a legacy of prayer, right? When I, when I think of my grandma Muti and my grandma Mason, I think, man, those, those women were prayer warriors. They weren't just rocking in a rocking chair praying for their family. They were like on their knees interceding for their family to know who Jesus is and to be, have an impact in this world. And so when I think of legacy, when I think of faith in action, I think of my grandmas and the way they prayed. So I've learned so much from them. I'm so thankful. And, and so I just feel in some ways this is a legacy message for them. They're, they're, I, I hope they listen to this message. Grandma Muti, I love you. Grandma Mason, I love you. I'm so thankful for what I learned from you. Hey, Becky and the band, you guys want to come on up? We're going to bring it to a close. I just want to remind us. So James is writing this letter about the basics of the faith. And this is what he's trying to tell people. He's trying to say, hey, our faith must have action. If it doesn't, it's dead, it's useless, it's no good. And the benefit for us is that our faith in action will lead to maturity. It will lead to friendship. And it will be how we're remembered. And I just want to also remind us that legacy is not just something that you pass on when you die. Some of you guys might be here for only a year, two years. You know, maybe you came here for grad school and you just threw in to this church for a little while. Guess what? You will have a legacy as well. We will remember you by the way you lived out your life in action as well. So don't just think about, you know, some, for some of us in our 20s and 30s, it's a little hard to think about our legacy. But I'm saying you can have a legacy today in the way that you live out your faith amongst this church. So here's a few things that we can do as we respond. I, f- I felt like the prayer of my heart the last year has been this prayer that just says, help me, Jesus. That's what, I f- that's what he's been continually saying. To me. He's just like, ask me for help. And so that's what I feel like part of what we're going to do today is help us to live lives of faith. Help us to know how to live out in action our faith. Help us for me to know what I can do this week or today. Help me, Lord. So we're going to have a prayer of of help, but also I'm going to pass the mic to Becky because she had this kind of strong prophetic sense this morning as she woke up about how we were going to move into a time of asking God to help us have active faith. So I'll let you take over, Becky. Thanks, Phil. Um, This morning when I woke up, I was thinking about this, you know, call to action in, in faith. I thought, you know, it's true that in, um, you know, faith with, with works, there's, it's simple obedience, right? We, we do it. We act. You choose to forgive. You choose to open your mouth. You choose to obey. You choose to go to someone and confess your sin. You choose to give away money. But, you know, even in the you doing it, it's also the work of the Holy Spirit in and through you. And I was reminded when I woke up this morning of the disciples, um, 
at the end of the Gospels, at the beginning of the book of Acts, I mean, honestly, they are kind of a bunch of cowards. They have been fleeing. They've been denying that they even know Jesus. They find them hiding in a locked room. And yet a couple chapters later, these very same men are living this bold, public, powerful faith. It's the same men. And what's the difference? The in-between, the Holy Spirit has come and filled them and enabled them to go and do and proclaim this message. And so, you know, yes, it is going to be choices of us to obey in all of those, those little ways, but it's also the work of the Holy Spirit in us. Um, so as we move into response, I want to invite you to stand up. If there's something in, in that word that, that resonates, this idea of asking for help, I want to invite you to come forward and just stand here in the front. We're going to have people who will come and just pray for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to have his empowering presence, his, his work um, in and through you. We're going to sing this song that just uses um, new wine as a metaphor for the, for the work of the Holy Spirit in us. Um, so as we sing, Lord, we invite you. Help us, help us to choose to obey, but do it in us. Come Holy Spirit and give us the power that we need. So as we move in response, I just invite you to come forward.